Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship together today, let me invite you, let's take the Word of God, let's open the Word of God and turn in the Word of God to Acts chapter 5. We continue looking at the church exploding, the church evangelizing, the church advancing the kingdom. The gospel of Jesus Christ will not be quiet and will not be overcome. We're going to see as God continues to use the bold witness of Peter, John, and the faithful church to make known the truth of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Our context, as we catch up here in chapter 5, you remember, uh, we quickly go from opposition inside the church to opposition outside the church. They had a little moment where two people named Annas and Sapphira tried to deceive the Lord, deceive the church, and simulate holiness, and God strike them dead for their simulation, strike them dead for their hypocrisy. And now the church responding out of that, you would think that would be a moment where things would maybe fall apart or slow down, but then it just keeps going faster and faster than ever before. And so we're going to see the movement of God as they continue in obedience. And so understand here, the great privilege that we have when it comes to opposition is that that's opportunities for us to tell more people about Christ. I want you to understand something about who we are and what we know to be true here on earth that is in heaven. One of the only things, maybe just one of the only things that we can't do in heaven, that we can do on earth, is tell people about Jesus. See, on the other side of eternity, that's going to be fully realized. There will be no more evangelism. There will be no more witnessing. It will all have been true and come true in Christ. All things will be complete when we arrive in our destination of eternal life. But here, while there is still time, While he still stands at the door and knocks, while there's still an invitation where he is slow and he is willing that all should come, that all should receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, you and I have the greatest opportunity in the world that's to tell one more person about Jesus Christ. Take advantage of that. That's what we're going to see today. They take advantage of their call, even in opposition, to be obedient to do what God has called them to do. And so let's stand, if you will, with me for the reading of God's Word today, starting in verse 12. We're going to read the Word of God, and it tells us this. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. So remember there was disruption, but now we're back to unity. They're all back in one accord. They all have the same mind, the same spirit, the same soul. They're unified by the Holy Spirit, and now they're, they're advancing together. But none of the rest they dared to associate with and with the apostles. However, the people held them in high esteem. They, they were seeing God move in them and through them. And all the more believers in the Lord, all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, they were constantly added to their number. I remember 2,000 people got, 3,000 people got saved, 2,000 people got saved, and it says in daily the Lord was multiplying the church and adding to their number, and now we're adding more and more, not just men, now we're adding women, and there's children involved in this. The church, again, is growing at a rapid rate, so verse 15, to such an extent, we see the growth that even carried the sick out into the streets, and they laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. And remember the man who sat and begged on the way into the temple, that he was healed and leaped and walked and rejoiced that he was not only healed but saved by God. And people like, I want in, I want to experience the, the living God in such a way. And they were there, and they were just hoping that they would just catch a glimpse of the glory of God. And also the people 
from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together. So this is now just expanding beyond Jerusalem. The, the word is getting out. God's church is moving. And they were bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Keep the text open before you. I'm going to invite you not only to have the Bible today, but have the worship guide. We're going to turn to the backside and plug in some things together as we go and walk together through the Word of God here today. And I want you to see a couple things. God is moving in a mighty way, and there's still going to be moments of opposition even to this movement. But we're going to see that you can't stop God, you can't control God, and you can't stop what God has started. The Word of God says what God begins, He's always faithful to complete. And so we're going to see that completion or that perseverance of that completion even here today as we look at how the disciples, the apostles respond, the church responds to things not going their way. So here's two things I want you to see right here. Number one is this. We see in them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to overcome. We see that when we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to overcome. So the church is exploding, not from anything superficial. The church is exploding from everything supernatural. They, they can't make this stuff up. They're not simulating anything. They're, they're not, you know, kind of projecting anything. There's no way they're, they're masquerading anything. There's no way they're setting the table and just like, hey, yeah, look at what we're doing. We're, we're doing X, Y, Z, and the church is growing A, B, C. No, there's no way that they are superficially building God's church. This is supernatural. This is by the power of God. And we see that in verses 12 through 16. People in verses 12 and 13, they're being loved. People in verses 14, they're, they're being saved. And then people in verse 15 through 16, they're being healed. There's a movement of the Holy Spirit through the church. And the Sadducees, all right, the Sadducees, they're greatly agitated. They're the religious leaders. They're the temple leaders. They're greatly annoyed. We're going to read that they're filled with all kinds of jealousy. And they see Christianity as a threat, a threat to their authority. And so when they see that they're losing control, they're, they're losing influence, and they're on the edge of everything going in that direction, the religious leaders decide it's time for us to do something about it. So they act, verse 17. But the high priest rose up along with all the associates, and that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Now who are the Sadducees? The Sadducees and the Pharisees made up the Sanhedrin. A council of religious leaders. We had the Sadducees, which were in charge of like the temple, and they were also in charge of like the relationship with Rome. All right, they were very politically driven. And then you had the Pharisees, and they were in charge of the law, in charge of worship, and they were religiously driven. And so we had the political religion, religious groups coming together, and the Sadducees, they, they were also people who didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and they also didn't believe in angels. And so that's why they were Sadducee, right? They didn't believe in the resurrection. And they're filled with jealousy. They see God moving. And they can't take it anymore. And so verse 18 says, they laid their hands on them. They've done this once before. Now we're going to see it a second time. And they put them in a public jail. And so remember, verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 20, they already said, hey, the first time you told us to stop, what was Peter's response? We can't help but tell people about Jesus. We're not going to stop. We can't help but proclaiming the truth of God. And so it was already their conviction that if they were ever to run into this kind of stuff again, they weren't going to fold. 
They would not bend the knee. They wouldn't disobey God. They were going to go forward with the message of Christ no matter what the consequence or the cost may be. And so that was already their decision, their conviction to not give in. And they even prayed after they got out of prison the first time. They went back to the church in Acts 4 verse 29. They prayed for what? More boldness. Don't make us cowards, God. Make us courageous. They prayed for more boldness, and that's exactly what they did. They went right back to what God called them to do, and they kept going, they kept preaching, and God kept saving. And so they arrest the apostles. They throw them in general population, and they think they've got control of the situation. But here's one truth we have to remember, even in our own lives. You can't control God. You can't stop God. Because at verse verse 19, they're thrown in prison, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison And taking them out, he said, what did the angels say? A messenger from God giving the message of God. He says, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Go speak in the temple the whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, what did they do? Upon hearing the instruction of God, the word of God, they entered into the temple about daybreak and they began to teach. Now now notice this, don't miss what's happening. God releases them supernaturally out of prison, and what does he tell them to do? To go back and do the very same thing that got them thrown into the jail in the first place. To go back. To go back and do exactly what they got in trouble for. I love that we see that God doesn't release them from a difficult situation to an easier situation, but he calls them to go right back to where he called them to go in the first place. He's commissioned them. He's commanded them. He's told them this is what their job would be as his witnesses, to go and proclaim the good news to all the nations. And he says, I want you to go back to the place I sent you. I'm going to go back to the place that I called you. And I want you to go back to the place that you're going to make the most significant difference for my name. And he sends them back. And what did they do? Upon hearing this, they entered. They went. They didn't say, well, is it safe? Well, well should we? maybe we should you know, get a committee on this and think if this is the right thing to do. They didn't committee anything. They didn't ask questions. They didn't ask if it was safe. They didn't even ask if they had permission. What did they do? They simply obeyed no matter the cost, and they obeyed no matter the consequence. And here's a good truth for us to remember about when God works in our lives. God is always going to call you to do what he has already called you to do. God is always going to call you to do what he has already called you to do. What does that mean? Well, it means this. You can't avoid obedience to God. If he's called you to do something, you don't, you know, go around that and say, well, God, I'm not going to do that, but I'll do this. No, God is always going to call you back to the point of obedience. He's always going to call you back to do exactly what he wants you to do. And his full will has been revealed in his full word, and we know exactly what he's called to do, and he's not going to call us to do something outside of that. And so when I want to know what God's will is for my life and what he's calling me to do, I already know. God is always going to call me to do what he has already called me to do. There's a story of an older father with a younger son, and it was a really, really cold night. And in their cabin in the woods, the the old father asked the young son if he would throw another log on the fire to keep the fire going. The fire was waning, heat was reducing, and he said, hey, son, will you please throw another log on the fire? The son said, hey, dad, I can't do it right now. I'm in the middle of doing something else. I'll do it later. Well, the dad, as the temperatures kept dropping, the fire kept going lower. The dad said again, son, please, would you throw another log on the fire? And the son said, dad, I'm I'm not going to be able to do it. Why don't you just do it yourself? And the dad said, well, listen, son, it's my house. It's my rules. You live under my roof. And so this time I'm not asking. 
I'm telling you, son, put another log on the fire. And the son rebutted and said, you know what? Fine. It's your house, your rules. I don't want to live in this anymore. I'm tired of your house. I'm tired of your rules. I don't want to be under your roof. And so the son moved out. And so months went by and the son realized it was pretty hard making it on his own. And he realized how foolish he was. He realized how, 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 how defiant he was. And he realized how wrong he was and how good his father was. And so upon this realization, the son finally went back home, and as he made the long journey back home, the long, humble journey back home, he got to the door, knocked on it. His dad opened the door, and his dad was overjoyed to see his son come back home. He embraced him. He loved him. And then the son began to say, sorry, dad, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I was sinful. I asked for your forgiveness. I know how good you are, how foolish I was. Would you please forgive me? And would I please have the opportunity to come back home? And the son said, of course, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you to come back home. I've been praying for you to come to this realization. He said, come on back in, rejoin the family. And as the son entered the door, into the house, the father said, but son, before you make yourself at home, I want you to put another log on the fire. God's always going to call us back to the place of obedience. And so he sent them out. And what did he tell? What did God send them to do? I want you to go back to the place I sent you already. I want you to go back and do what I've already called you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to put another log on the fire. And so they go back and they will always go back and they go back. And what do they do? Verse 21, upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and they began to teach. And what do they teach? Verse 20, the whole message of this Man, if the gospel is anything, if Jesus is anything, he is life. Life giving, life abundant, John 10 10, life eternal. Jesus, in fact, John 14 6 would declare this himself I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In other words, there is no life apart from Christ. John chapter 6, he is the bread of life, the only thing that can sustain and fill. He's the living water of life. In other words, you can't drink from any other fountain and find fulfillment. He is the life. There's nothing you can taste, nothing you can eat. There's nothing you can experience that is greater than Jesus. Paul would say the same thing in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. He said, I consider everything a loss. All that I've earned, all that I've gained, all that I've known, all that I've acquired, all the things that have me and I have, he would say this, I consider everything a loss compared to what? Compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I consider everything not a gain. I consider everything a loss. And so that's the testimony these men have. I've got life, and I want to give it to you. I've got truth that will change your life, and I want to tell it to you. I've got truth that's changed my life, and I want to tell you all about it. And that's what we all have in this room. If you've been changed by Jesus, you have a testimony of life. If you got saved at a young age, and you've been following Christ for a long time, here's your testimony. I have never found anything better than Jesus. But if you got saved as an adult, perhaps you lived like hell, and you lived a really rebellious life, and all of a sudden you got changed by Christ, guess what? You have the same testimony. I have lived, and I've never found anything better than Jesus. We all came to the same place, and we all come to the same story, is that when we receive Christ, Jesus is life. And there's nothing better than Jesus. That's the message Paul declares, because he goes on, when the high priest and his associates, verse 21, but go back. They came, they called the council together, even all the Senate and the sons of Israel, and they sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. He said, I want to bring them back in. 
But the officers who came, they didn't find them in the prison. They returned and reported back saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guard standing at the doors. But when we had opened them up, we found no one inside. Now the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest heard these words and they were greatly perplexed about as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported them at kind of the same time. Hey, the men who you put in prison, guess what? They're standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. And then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, listen guys, we've already gone through this. We've already, done, we've already arrested you once. We've already warned you once. We already gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. They won't even say his name, right? We've already con- given you orders to not continue doing this. And yet, you have filled Jerusalem. Now the whole city knows about it. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You, you, you not only ignore us, but you keep telling us we're guilty. You keep telling us that we're lost. You keep telling us that we need to repent. And that's the good news for all of us, isn't it? See, what Peter's doing here is the whole message of life is the whole message of life has two facets. You've got guilt and you've got grace. That's the whole message of life, is that you and I, apart from Christ, stand guilty for our sin. That Romans chapter 3 tells us that there's no one worthy, no, not one. That every single one of us in this room, no matter who you are, you have fallen short of the glory of God. No one in this room is perfect. No one in this room has lived perfectly. No one in this room has ever been close enough to earning or gaining their own salvation. Not a single one of us have made the mark. We've all missed it. And so not only is there guilt that we stand guilty, but that means this. Now, when we know our guilt and we're aware of our guilt, we are eternally separated from God. That there's no hope for us after this life is over to have a moment to repent. That there's no moment after this that we will ever be reunited with God, but in our sin, we'll be forever separated from God because someone has to pay the price. Someone has to pay the debt. Someone must pay the penalty. So that's guilt. That every single one of us, apart from Christ, we have no hope. But then there's grace. That the blood of Jesus that we're responsible for, because the only thing I contributed to my salvation was my sin. And the blood of Jesus that I'm responsible for has been covered by his. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become and right, receive the righteousness of God. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. See, the good news is that even when I'm guilty, God's grace is bigger. Jesus came. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve to die. He died on my cross for my shame, for my guilt. And if I would recognize that I'm a sinner, if I would repent of that sin, and I would receive him as my Savior, Romans chapter 10 says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, believing in his heart, will be saved. There's grace, even when there's guilt. And Peter's preaching the good news. He's telling them that, hey, you can either stay in your guilt or you can stand in his grace. But here's good news. Jesus has paid it all. He's paid it in full. And so we see the power to overcome. And and church, before I move on, I don't want you to miss that opportunity. You may be here fully aware that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Fully aware that if you were to die today, you're not 100% certain that you would stand before God and he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you take right now to know there's an opportunity for you? that your sins can be forgiven, that you can be made new, that you don't have to stay the way you are because Jesus is life. The whole message of this life is that there's life for you, and there's life for you in Christ. And if you would come right now, you would overcome this world. You would overcome your sin because he's already done it. 
So receive it right now because you see the power to overcome. And that leads us to number two, the persistence to obey. The power of the Holy Spirit gives us the power to overcome. And the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the persistence to obey. Because you look and say, did their arrest and the threats scare them? Did they back down as a result? Did they say, hey, all right, well, maybe we should stop. This is kind of getting serious. Maybe, maybe we've gone too far. Maybe we pushed it. No, not at all. Because verse 29, what's their response to, hey, we've already told you once, now we're telling you twice, or else Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. You tell us one thing, but God told us another thing, and guess what? His word is bigger. His word is better. So you understand Romans 13, as believers in Christ, we are commanded to submit to the earthly authorities. Or you can't get around that. Romans 13, God is the one in charge. He's sovereign over all things. He has commanded us as people of God, people in this world but not of this world, to submit to worldly authority. That's, that's an issue of us being citizens of earth as we are fully citizens of heaven. And that's where our citizenship lies because here's what the kicker is. We obey the earthly authority until, until they tell us to do something God has told us not to do or they tell us not to do God has told us to do. Right, that's the, until the line. We, we obey and we submit until the world says, here's what you don't do, and God says, do it. Or they say, don't do this, and God says, already have. Right? So we understand that this is where we draw the line. And so we obey God, and we don't obey man. Because when you become a believer, you what? You profess that Jesus is your Lord. Can't serve two masters. That he is my king. He's boss of my life. He tells me what to do. I don't live for me, and I certainly don't live for the pressure of the world. I live for God. And what has God called us to do? To go into the whole world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, to go out and, and tell people at all places, at all times, in all things, that there is a Savior for our sin. That is what he has commanded and what he has commissioned us to do. And church, we must never be silent what God has told us to shout. We must never be silent what God has told us to shout. And Peter shouts it in verse 30. He says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and as a savior to grant repentance. All right, there's still forgiveness offered to you to Israel, the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses. We've experienced this firsthand of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who what? Who obey him. And talk about persistence. Peter's been arrested twice. He's been told to be quiet twice or else. And he's just like, hey, even in before this council, I'm taking advantage. Hey, guess what? You talk about blood. You talk about guilt. Yeah, you're guilty, but man, there's grace for you. Even today, Jesus was hung on a cross, but there's forgiveness for sin through Christ. And so Peter just keeps on talking. They said, stop. And Peter says, I'm just getting started. And he kept going. He kept going. I want you to see a couple things here as we apply this text to our lives. Here's number one. We must obey God because we owe God. We must obey God because you and I, we owe God. We owe God eternal life. Again, he is the one, verse 31, that God exalted to the right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of that. See, understand the Bible says that what you and I as Christians, we've been bought at a price. We were purchased. We were redeemed. We were bought from sin 
so that we could be brought in as sons and daughters of the one true king. And so when we sing Jesus paid it all, how do we finish that? All to him I owe. See, we obey God because we owe God. He has bought me. He has purchased me. He has redeemed me. And not only has he done that, then he's cleaned me. And he's filled me with his Holy Spirit. And he sent me to be his messenger of his, of his good news. This is what God has done for me. We obey God because we owe God. And that tells us number two, don't let Jesus stop with you, but let Jesus spread through you. Don't let the good news of Christ stop with you, but spread through you. You are not a cul-de-sac. All right, you're a conduit. And that's Tony Evans right there. You're not a cul-de-sac. You're a conduit. It doesn't stop with you and just sit in that little circle. No, it keeps going. You're a street. All right, you're a pathway. You're an intersection. And so we understand that verse 33 tells us how, how it kept going, how they kept going forward, and how it would not stop within. Because when they heard this, what was the counsel? They were cut to the quick, or they were, like Acts 2.38, cut to the heart. But instead of repentance, they responded with rejection, and they intended to kill them. But a Pharisee spoke up. His name was Gamaliel. He was a teacher of the law, and he was respected by all the people. He stood up in the council, and he gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And in this private council, he said to the men of Israel, take care of what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, we see Theodos, he rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed, and all who followed him, they were dispersed, and that came to nothing. There was a man who claimed to be a Messiah. He had a follower, some followers, but, but it didn't, or nothing amounted to anything. And after this, another man named Judas of Galilee, he rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him, and he too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. He's saying, hey guys, we've seen this before. There's been false movements because they've had false leaders. These guys have not ever been the Messiah. And so we see in the present case, he says in verse 30, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. If they're just doing this on their own, it's not going to amount to anything. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may be even found fighting against God. So he gives them a warning. He gives them advice, and they took his advice. And after calling the apostles back in, what do they do? They didn't just warn them this time. Now they flogged and they beat them. They punished them, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. They released them. And so they went on their way defeated? No. They went on their way scared? No. They went on their way from the presence of the council? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. I'm so happy I got beat today, right? I don't, I've never experienced that. I've never walked away from a spanking thinking that was good for me. Right? I never walked away celebrating. They, they walked away rejoicing. Why? Because they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. I'm doing this for King Jesus. He suffered for me. Man, I can suffer for him. Man, he, he gave his life for me. I want to give my life for him. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They had been forbidden to stop talking about Jesus that they were told if they kept doing it, they would, kept, they, would, they would be punished. But they just kept on from house to house every day, no days off. They wouldn't stop. They would not stop. God was using their ministry to save people by the thousands. And they say, we're not going to stop the movement of God. The message is not going to stop with us. The message is going to spread through us. And that takes us to number three. The only alternative to obedience is disobedience. That's the only alternative the only alternative to being fully obedient to God is fully disobedient to God. And what do you mean by that? Well, if I can be encouraging and challenging in the same breath, I think one, of the, one thing wrong 
with the church today is that too many of us are not sharing our faith. We're not personal witnesses. We're not personally sharing the good news. We think we've really served God if we come to church. We've really served God if we gave the 10%. We really serve God if we serve in a ministry. We've really done something if we've done all those things. And those things are for God. But understand this, when we are not personally sharing Jesus with others, we are not right with God. What do you mean by that, John? Hey, hold on, you can't say that. God, God didn't call me to be an evangelist. God didn't call me to be a preacher. That's your job, right? That's not my job. I'm just called to, to be here and be safe and comfortable. How in the world can you say, if I'm not sharing Jesus, then I'm not right with God? Well, here's how I can say this, and don't take my word for it. Let's take his, all right? Matthew 28, he says what? I have commissioned you to do what? To go into the whole world and to be my witnesses. I'm commanding you, the great commission, to go into the whole world teaching, sharing the good news of Christ, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? It's that big verse on our wall outside the lobby. You have been commanded by God to go share the gospel. All right, further evidence, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says they were given the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to give you that power to be what? My witnesses, that you may go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, what? Sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. And so what I see in the Word of God is I've been commanded to share Jesus. I've been commissioned to see Jesus. And if I'm not fully obedient to that, then I am in disobedience to God. It's the only way you can really slice that. And so here's the encouragement. Here's the encouragement because you're like, hey, I don't have a platform. Okay, I realize that. So here's what you can do. In your own way, in your own world, with your own gifting, with your own amount of influences, here's what you're called to do, to share the simple truth of Jesus in everyday life. Wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you play, make Jesus known. Whatever that looks like. It's simple. It's not got to be a sermon every single time. It doesn't have to be the bridge every single time. It can be as simple as, hey, can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life today? You're just called to be a witness of the power of Christ. All right, your job is not to save people. Your job is to tell people. God does the rest, but you plant seeds and you water the plants, right? That's all you're called to do. God does the rest. And so wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you play, make Jesus known. That's all you got to do. And so here's the big picture for us. The power of the Holy Spirit was not given for your enjoyment. The power of the Holy Spirit was given for your employment. It's Dr. Adrian Rogers, one of the greatest preachers of our generation. He was not given for your enjoyment. He was given for your employment. We receive the goodness of God when we receive the Holy Spirit, but then we receive the goodness of God to go, to be used by him. We have the power. We have the authority. There's a man named Stephen Grellett. Stephen Grellett was a missionary Stephen Grillet was an evangelist, and he was back in the 1800s, the old pioneer days of the United States. And so think way back when the West was one, right? That's Stephen Grillet, and he was way out in the western front of the foot of the Rocky Mountains, and, and he knew that God had called him. He was seeking the Lord. So he went out one day and prayed, God, what do you want to do with my life? I'm here. Send me. And so he began to pray and seek God, and he felt a very specific conviction to go, a very, to, go to a very specific lumber camp at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. And so he knows, all right, God, you're calling me. I'm going to go. I'll be your witness for you. I'm going to go share the gospel and be obedient. So he loads up. He heads off that lumber camp. And as he's on his way, he's praying, God, use me in a big way. He's expecting a crowd of men. He's expecting a movement of revival. He's got great expectations because he feels a great conviction to go. And as he shows up to this lumber camp, it's empty. Not a single soul there. 
He goes around. He looks in the office. There's nobody there. He goes to the bunkhouses where the men should be maybe asleep. They're not there. He goes to chow hall. Maybe they're all eating lunch or breakfast. Maybe they're in there. And he goes in. He can't find a single person. So he goes out to the middle of the camp and said, God, what are you doing? You called me here. You told me to come preach here. And here I am. And you got nobody for me to preach to. But he knew what he was called to do. And he put another log on the fire. And he said, all right, I'm going to preach. And so to an empty camp, to nobody, he opened the Bible. He began to preach the gospel. He shared the gospel invitation. He shared the good news that Jesus Christ came and there's salvation in his name. He even gave an invitation to nobody. And as he gave the invitation and as he offered the gift of salvation from the word of God, he closed up service. He got back on his carrier and he got back on his way out of the lumber camp. Six years later, this is a true story. Six years later, he's in London doing a series of revivals, all right, preaching the word of God in London, so across the ocean. And, and as he's there walking across London Bridge with his wife, a man stops and says, hey, 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 are you Stephen Grellett? Is that you? And he's like, yes, sir, I'm Stephen Grellett. He goes, hey, did you preach six years ago to an empty lumber camp? And, and, and the man began to go on and explain and say, hey, our whole crew was out deep in the woods. We were working hard that day, and we weren't there when you showed up. But I came back because we were short an axe, and I needed to get a new one. And so I came back to get another axe from the camp, and I heard you preaching. And I stood there behind a rack of wood, and I heard the good news of Jesus. And right there behind that rack of wood, I felt conviction for my sin. I knew that Jesus came to save me from my sin. I got down on my knees, and I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. And then only did that happen to me, but I went back to my crew deep in the woods. I shared the gospel with three other men. Three other men right there in the woods got conviction of their sin, felt the call of God to be saved. And three men gave their lives to Jesus right there in the deep neck of the woods. And I'm proud to tell you, six years later, there's four of us. And now all four of us are preachers, evangelists, and missionaries for the kingdom of God. Why? Because you were obedient to put another log on the fire. See how powerful it is when you and I are witnesses, no matter what the consequence and the cost may be, that when you and I simply are obedient to what God has called to do, that he was given not for our enjoyment, for our employment, God will do amazing and mighty things. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.